Hello and welcome to Kane and Rinse Sound of Play 95. <laughs> Ninety-five. That was my first uh, version of Windows that I ever used. We are approaching our one hundredth sound of play pretty quick here, so let's uh, let's go ahead and hop into this one. Every Wednesday in Sound of Play, we bring you some of our and your favorite pieces from the many video game soundtracks we've enjoyed over the decades. Joining me, Ryan Heyman, in today's Sound of Play 
is our uh, returning contributor, I believe, on his third show now. This is Andrew Brown. Yes, hello, number three right here. Three, I counted that correctly, because you uh, you joined us originally on the Legend of Zelda special back in uh, Sound of Play 50, I believe. It was just about a year ago now, yeah. Wow, is that long ago? <laughs> I guess it would be, because we do these weekly, so it's mm-hmm. really easy to count out. <laughs> We've already heard a little bit more kind of high fantasy type of music. Um, now, I know that that when you play video games, you tend to play them rather exhaustively. And the series that this uh, this game music is from is one that is kind of famous for being rather sprawling and having a lot to do in it. Now, of course, uh, the MMO iteration is the one that is the real time sink here, but I seem to remember these old kind of RTS entries in the Warcraft series being uh, rather involved as well. Is that, um, is that fair to say? Are these major time sinks or am I kind of remembering them wrong? Uh, I would think it's fair to say Warcraft 3 is a time sink. I mean, that, that's okay. where the entire MOBA genre came from, just for starters. Right. Uh, Warcraft 2, Warcraft 1... Mm, yes and no it has they both have campaigns and they Mm -hmm. have like the independent battles but the competitive nature of the Mm -hmm. rts genre hadn't really risen yet Uh, Mm. starcraft was still a few years away they were time sinks if you wanted them to be but i think it would be safe to say that warcraft 2 was still a pretty casual game if you wanted it to be okay I jumped in on Warcraft 3 back in the old days. My <laughs> uh, friend from uh, from middle school, I think it was at the time, like burnt me a copy of it. So yeah, I had my illegal version of Warcraft 3. But anyways, I, I have not played Warcraft 2. How, how different is it if I am familiar with Warcraft 3? Uh, well, visually, you could call it basically more cartoony, I guess, if that's the word you wanted to use. Hmm. Uh, it also hadn't quite established the canon yet. Like, you know, if you play StarCraft or you play Warcraft 3, you play each campaign in order. It tells a cohesive story. In Warcraft 2, they tell two different stories that can't work together, and one of them is canon. And I think in Warcraft 2, it's the human campaign that is mm. canon, which is actually where this song comes from. Uh, these sound like uh, like MIDI instruments. It wasn't a... Uh, wasn't real orchestras at the time, presumably. Um, it has a very kind of heroic kind of marching theme to it. Uh, so what is it about this song that drew you in? Well, this is the song from the OST, which has stuck with me best. I actually still have my original CD-ROMs for Warcraft 2 and its expansion set. They're probably the oldest games that I still own originally. I, I own older games, of course, but I've bought them used since. I've had mm-hmm. these games since their release. Uh And one of the cool things about them is you can actually listen to those CDs as audio CDs. So even though I don't actually have hardware that can play those CDs anymore, I can listen to the OST anytime I want. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I have just really enjoyed this track because it's militaristic and serious. It's carried by that snare drum that suggests kind of marching in time. Mm -hmm. And you're selecting your peasants and they're like, I don't want to do this. They actually, they literally say that. <laughs> I was like the little voices and the the clips and the jokes that they would tell in Warcraft Three. <laughs> yeah, I think Warcraft Two is the game that started that. They got some yeah, pretty probably... funny stuff in there. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, they got that snare drum. It suggests marching in time, and it's got mm-hmm. this rising tension, which leads to this cathartic release of the song. I think that's the bridge, and 
then it returns to the march. It just loops right back to the start because in the world of Warcraft, war is never ending. It's neat that they included the soundtrack on the actual CD to be played. I don't know whether they would have to create a dual layer disc or I don't really understand how that works. I know that there were a few PlayStation games that were like that as well. Mm -hmm. I remember playing my copy of uh, Star Wars Demolition in the um, old kind of boom boxes <laughs> as well in our, our CD players. And I remember, I don't know if it was because my disc was scratched or whether this was just the way that it was, but I would always have to skip track one because it was just like this awful static noise and maybe that was like the part of the disc that was allocated to the uh data or i I don't know that must have been a common problem since it was track one and if they were expecting people to play it on cd players but um yeah it's kind of a a neat innovation that has since gone away because we're no longer uh, using cds for uh well for games or music any longer yeah i'm not really sure how it would work but like today Mm -hmm. if you wanted the soundtrack it would probably come as a bonus disc with Mm -hmm. your game but this was uh actually i think it's a better innovation because your game is the soundtrack so you don't have to keep track of a lot of extra discs (laughs) these days they could include some uh blu-ray uh blu-ray player functionality uh with games if they choose to but i don't uh i don't it doesn't seem to ring a bell any games that have really done that recently there was a Nice piece of music that was called Human 2, as composed by Glenn Stafford from Warcraft 2, The Tides of Darkness. And let's let's hop into a, another track here. Uh, this is one that I have been a huge fan of for a very long time. I think I've listened to this album for uh, ever since it was new. I think the album came out in 2011, and it is a cover of... Uh, some of the music from Super Meat Boy, which was originally composed by Danny Baranowski. Uh, this particular album is called Choice Piano Cuts, and it is composed and performed by Brent Kennedy. There are piano covers of the Super Meat Boy uh, soundtrack, but they are kind of like reinterpretations of the songs as well. Uh, the original Super Meat Boy soundtrack was very high energy, very kind of electronica, um, had a lot going on, and uh, and sometimes it was almost a little difficult to discern the main melody through everything that was happening in the songs, just because they were so high energy and fast and used a lot of uh, interesting electronic instruments. And so what I really like about this album is that it really kind of pairs it down. Uh, everything is a solo piano recording, and it's a um, marvelous distillation of these Uh, really intricately composed pieces of music. And I'm not sure how closely uh, Brent Kennedy sticks to the original Danny Baranowski composition, uh, whether all of the music that he plays was present in the original track, just kind of sounding differently, or whether he ended up for the arrangement writing new parts of the music as well. It's a really cool album, and I would definitely encourage people to track it down. Since then, he's also done a cover of the Binding of Isaac soundtrack, which I haven't actually gotten around to listening to, but I should probably track that down as well. Andrew, are you one who's uh, who's played uh, Super Meat Boy in the past? Yeah, I have played it. I got it through PlayStation Plus Instance Game Collections. Mm. I did beat the core game, but that was it. I thought it was... That's still pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I had to make a choice between... Doing everything in Super Meat Boy or actually doing something else for the next foreseeable future. And this Mm -hmm. song, I think, actually really shows why, because it's like this desperate, 
fairly controlled tune, mm. which evokes exactly how I feel when I'm playing Super Meat Boy. <laughs> and the, the musician displays the same competence that I need just to get through a level. I'm moving yes. <laughs> at this breakneck speed, barely hanging on to this turbulent rhythm, always just a moment away from death. The difference between victory and failure is the single misstroke of a key. I had a friend back in college. Uh, he was a, f- a few years older, like maybe a couple years older than... Uh, my buddies and I, but we used to hang out with him. Um, just really cool guy named Jesse. Not the type of person who makes like a big deal of himself. Like you would never pick him out of a crowd and say, he seems like a cool guy. But, you know, once we got to be friends with him, every once in a while, something would just kind of come up that is like literally one of the coolest things that I've ever heard of a person doing. And it would he just like keep surprising us in all these like crazy weird ways and so in that in that way, he became kind of like a legend among like me and my friends. But uh, one of the one of the really impressive things <laughs> that he managed to accomplish was uh, he was pretty insanely good at Super Meat Boy. He unlocked the kid, which is not easy to do. And I think at one point he was in the top like 100 scores in the entire world wow. on Steam. <laughs> And so, yeah, he was uh, he was absolutely crazy with this game. But, you know, he's just one of those guys, once he sets his mind to something, he ends up excelling. So <laughs> uh, we'll be eternally jealous. <laughs> but until then, uh, until then, <laughs> that is not the correct verbiage at all. To console myself, <laughs> I would uh, listen to this music and just dream <laughs> of being as good as Jesse was at Super Meat Boy. Anyways, let's, uh, let's go ahead and listen to this is Beatus Blues by Brent Kennedy from Super Meat Boy Choice Piano Cuts.
right, our next track is a request from the forum. This comes from Flavio, who says, So this is the theme for Hyrule Castle. It's actually the outdoor version. There's an indoor version it blends into as you venture inside where the brass becomes pipe organ. And the part where it plays the main Legend of Zelda theme changes to Zelda's lullaby. But I like this version better. The score for Breath of the Wild is very underrated. Uh, nope. <laughs> no, I know. Hmm. The score for Breath of the Wild is very understated. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where you're getting underrated from, Flavio. <laughs> uh, no, I, I am putting words in his mouth now. <laughs> oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Uh, mostly ghosts of a melody played lightly on piano. The towns use versions of familiar themes from elsewhere in the series. For the most part, it holds back the music for dramatic moments. Pretty much all the completely new themes in the game appear in cutscenes. This march takes a lot from series history, as well as the main Zelda theme. In there, it also has Ghost of the Hyrule Castle theme from A Link to the Past, Ganon's Leitmotif from Ocarina, and the main melody feels like it could have been inspired by the Ballad of the Windfish in a much lower key. Yes, this is Hyrule Castle by Minaka Kataoka from The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Uh, we have, before on the show, featured one track from this still pretty new game, uh, we featured a cover of the uh, one of the tracks from Wind Waker, uh, which is really wonderful. Um, and uh, Fabio mentioned in the post that, yes, there are some uh, om- homages, homages <laughs> back to uh, some of the earlier tracks in the series. But one of the really notable things is that it doesn't lean too heavily on the series' musical roots, um, hardly ever even bringing out this highly recognizable theme uh, from the original Legend of Zelda. Andrew, I know that you recently Kanan rinsed <laughs> this game. Did you end up finding uh, all the, the shrines and everything? I'd imagine you didn't go for all the Korok seeds. No, not all the Korok seeds. Uh, I Same story with Super Meat Boy. I have other games that I want to play. <laughs> I found yeah, yeah. 118 shrines all by myself, and after that, I had to use a map. I just I was ready to move on to something else, mm. so I did use a map to find the last two shrines I was missing. But yeah, 110 hours about I played total. Mm. I was really impressed with the soundtrack to Breath of the Wild. Uh, like it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't rely too much on the past of the series. But I think what it does do, and the entire game really does this, is it actually is building on those foundations, but it's doing it very subtly, and it does mm. it in the background. And, like, if you go to Zora's Domain, it actually does play a remix of the Zora's Domain theme from Ocarina of Time. And then there's the Rito Village theme, which you've already played on the podcast. Mm -hmm. But when you get into Hyrule Castle, that's where everything really stands in contrast to the rest of the world, which is very minimalist. And that part of the game really encourages you to play at a leisurely and a casual pace. But then you go into the castle... And you got this steady bass beat all the way through. It's really compelling you to march Mm. forward to that ending, which is just, you just got to get to the top of the tower and you can see the ending. And it really makes you feel like you're storming to the castle and coming to the end of this epic journey. And it recalls, as Flavio said, the music from several past Zelda titles, but all of it is underscored by that discordant alien piano melody that accompanies the Guardians. Mm. And since the castle is infested with guardians and when you see Calamity Ganon and what's happened to him, that all really starts to make sense. This entire thing is underscored by that and all that is existing in the background. And I think the implication is that 
this the Guardians in this ancient Sheikah society has always existed in the background of the Zelda series, but this is the first time we've really seen it yeah. emerge, like almost literally emerge. That's interesting. I, I'd be curious to hear, and I don't want to get too much into spoiler chat because, you know, that's not really what we're here to do. Um, I mean, this game is still fairly new. There's still a lot of people making their way through it, but I just kind of, I, I think it would be safe to talk about just kind of lightly dancing around some of the uh, points of interest in the castle here. Um, one of the things that really struck me on my way through it. And I, I did the castle at the very end of the game. I'd already uh, found all the shrines at that point and had amassed quite an inventory of powerful weapons. And, and so really, um, even with all of the Lionels and guardians and stuff, it didn't really pose that much of a threat to me any longer. Mm -hmm. I had become much more powerful <laughs> than, uh, you know, I, I, I was, uh, ready to really breeze through the castle. But I was surprised that although the castle is built like a Dark Souls level in a way, like there's a lot of interlocking paths. There's a lot of dead ends with treasure at the end. There's a lot of, uh, lot of hallways and big rooms and really um, some of the game's best combat arenas, like interesting rooms to hold combat. Um, and, you know, it, it felt like some of the, only times in the game really where the environment was crafted in such a way that it made for like intentionally designed kind of combat uh, scenarios. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, I mean, the combat system throughout the game always felt fresh because it was so robust and any uh, variance in the environment was going to throw an interesting wrinkle onto that. But in, uh, in the castle, you can tell there were some rooms where it's like, oh yeah, they definitely wanted this item to get in the way or they wanted us to incorporate the the table into um the the space um but anyways i i was surprised by how easy it was to circumvent most of the castle and you really only need to venture indoors if you really want to find those end game treasures and uh, uh swords and shields and stuff where you can really just kind of climb up or use Ravioli's Gale and um, and kind of boost around the outside of the castle walls and and make it pretty much all the way to the end boss without you know spending much time in the castle itself. Uh, I was a little let down by this because I felt like they created such a cool space, but were for some reason not all that interested in uh, in forcing us through it. Uh, but maybe that's just the game's open nature, allowing us to play the play it how we want to. Um, how did you find Hyrule Castle when you went through it? I, I loved Hyrule Castle. I thought it was the best designed area in an, a game where filled mm. with really well-designed areas. It yeah. didn't bother me at all that I could skip all of it because you could skip anything you wanted in the game and except for the Great Beasts, which just from a design that was just necess necessary. I would have been very disappointed if I got to Hyrule Castle and suddenly being able to climb anything just disappeared. That would be really mm. discordant with the rest of the game to me. Uh, and also, like, I happily went inside because when I beat went to beat the game the first time, I still was not at a point where I could actually fight Guardians confidently. So I happily mm. went through the interior just to avoid the Guardians. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah, but when I went back after I'd found all 120 shrines to beat the final boss again and get the hidden ending, mm -hmm. I went basically around the exterior because I could just plow through guardians at that point. And yeah, you, you can, you can climb up 
most of it. You can get past a bunch of walls with Rivoli's Gale, and you can also use the Zora Tunic in a few places. It's like a microcosm of the rest of the world and just the way it's put mm. together, and it makes me really excited to see what they're going to do with the next Zelda, which is probably going to be years away, and I really feel for the developers of that one because <laughs> they have a tall task ahead of them, and I think... It might be fair to say they are doomed to failure. Well, you know, that's what people keep saying about Nintendo, but it keeps on pulling itself back up and giving us new and interesting experiences. So I'm sure whatever the next Zelda will be, it will be a surprise. Uh, whether or not that's a pleasant surprise is is yet to be seen, but I hope they take it in a kind of like Majora's Mask type of direction. If this was the new Ocarina of Time, and I'd be interested to see something a little bit more contained, a little bit mm -hmm. more experimental. Each of these games can stand on their own as long as they don't just try to do the same thing again. Uh, there's, there's plenty of new directions that they can go with this. Yeah, but anyways, let's listen to some music. <laughs> this is Hyrule Castle from The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild.
All right, so now you have been very excited. I think that's a proper word to use about your switch. Fanatic. It, it yeah. seems on yeah. <laughs> didn't want to didn't want to put words in your mouth there, but yes, there there has been uh, uh, pretty much nothing but switch chat on your uh, Twitter for the past year. It seems, and you've picked up a lot of the games on Switch so far, and have a have a fair sampling of. A lot of uh, what's available so far. Now, um, I saw you recently playing NBA Playgrounds. Is that? Yes, that's the name. (laughs) And beforehand, you were uh, going through Zelda, of course. Uh, What other games have you picked up for the Switch? Oh, let's see. I got Puyo Puyo Tetris, where I discovered Mm -hmm. that even though I've been playing Tetris all my life, there are still things in it that I did not even know you could do. Mm. And also... (laughs) Puyo, which I've discovered that I don't have a clue how to play, so I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of stalled on that. Oh, I got the Binding of Isaac, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Mario Kart 8, of course, and mm-hmm. a little game called Snake Pass, actually, which uh, I think might be the best platformer I've played since Super Mario 64. Really? Yes. Wow. Now this one is a very polarizing one. I know that uh, Darren Gargat wrote a rather um unfavorable <laughs> review slash just kind of his thoughts on it on uh, on our website and um i've heard a lot of very positive things i've heard a lot of very negative things as well and so i'm always interested to hear more opinions about this uh what feels like and sounds like <laughs> for very good reason kind of a rare throwback uh, it looks like a rare throwback. It sounds like a rare throwback, but this seriously is like no other platformer you've ever played. Mm-hmm. I'm not even sure that it would be fair to call it a platformer, but I don't know what else you would call it because it's right. <laughs> it's basically a snake constriction simulator if you want to get that pedantic about it, because mm-hmm. you have to you you play as a snake. There's a story to it, but it's completely forgettable. Uh. And you've got to get lots of these little orbs, which have no plot construction to them at all. They're just they're just there, and you get, you get them for one hundred percent completion. Mm-hmm. And quite often they are suspended over midair, and you've got to wrap yourself around bamboo posts to grab them without falling down. And it's got a really bizarre control scheme that takes a while to get used to, because like you can tighten your coils around a pole, and you can extend out and go for these like leaps of faith to get to a next pole otherwise you will die it's difficult to describe it really but you don't jump there are no enemies it's really unique it's unlike any platformer i think i've ever played which is one of the reasons i really liked it because all the platformers i've played it's in super mario 64 have just felt like they're trying to be super mario 64 so i appreciated this one for trying to do something new it kind of reminds me of, uh, I don't know whether you've seen this game or not. I think it's been in one Humble Bundle so far called Mushroom 11. Um, it's a 2D game where you play as a a colony of fungus, I think it is, um, that's kind of in these underground kind of ant tunnel-like burrows. And your mouse, when you mouse close to the colony, it erases a part of the colony and kind of builds it onto the other end. It's all about kind of maneuvering through these mazes and, like you said, kind of like semi-platformy-ish challenges just by um, kind of shaping this whole kind of amorphous shape into whatever it requires at the time. Um, Also kind of like, uh, what is the uh, Box Boy? 
that series. Yes. Where it's more about kind of extending yourself and creating platforms out of your own boxy self uh, to cross you know, hazards and, and cliffs and stuff rather than the traditional jumping and punching that you see in a lot of platformers. So yeah, I'm, I'm really interested in this kind of new wave of alternative platformers in a way. I could be completely wrong about this, but Snake Pass was made with the Unreal Engine and I don't really think that there are too many platformers that were made on that, but hmm. I could be completely wrong about that. But it, Snake Pass is just an example of how you could make a platformer that focuses on a physics engine and building a platformer around a physics engine rather mm -hmm. than using the physics engine to create chaos or to create action or to make a shooter. But they definitely captured the rare look. Like, if I didn't know better, I would think that this was made by Rare. Uh, I should have done the research on this, but it's entirely possible it was actually made by some former Rare staffers. But there is the rare touch to it with the soundtrack from David Wise. Mm -hmm. This is the music from the water realm. And usually when people think of David Wise, they think about his underwater music. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, he's the master of underwater ambiance. And you can definitely feel that touch here because this is not ambient music, but there is an undertone of ambient music if you listen for it. But it's played over it with this vaguely Caribbean sound, which is in keeping with Snake Pass's generally tropical themes. But it doesn't restrict itself to the stereotypical regional instruments. It's got an easy rhythm. It's accompanied by uh, various woodwinds and string instruments. And it, it really encourages the player to play Snake Pass at the speed it should be played at, which is leisurely, methodically, and freely. Now, I've always really liked David Wise's music, um, but for some reason, I've never been like excited by David Wise's music. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I love the Donkey Kong Country soundtracks, but I, I always kind of viewed those as being like they were appropriate for the games that they were on, but you know, maybe that style of composition wouldn't transfer as cleanly to another project where, you know, if, if Grant Kirkhope was on another project, I would be like, oh, cool. I definitely want to listen to that. Whereas, you know, if David Wise was, then I, I tended to kind of like pass it over in a way. But over the past year, his contribution to the ukulele soundtrack, I think was like far and away the the strongest um, part of that soundtrack. I love the work that he did on uh, Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. And now the Snake Pass soundtrack is really wonderful as well. Like I'm realizing that I was, uh, I've been missing out. Like this guy's actually a lot more of a kind of a well-rounded powerhouse of really catchy and fun music. Mm -hmm. he, he can do more than just Donkey Kong. And um, so I'm definitely going to be hopping back into some of the games that I've missed of his. Yeah, I think Grant Kirkhope is really great at making a dominating soundtrack, whereas David Wise, I think, yeah, yeah. Uh, his soundtracks more complement the game, and they do a really good job of not overtaking what's going on and uh, being present, but not being what you notice immediately, like uh, the underwater ambience track from Donkey Kong Country that I think everybody knows. That was the first mm -hmm. song that I ever actually turned a video game on and paused it just so I could listen to it <laughs> while I was doing something else. Yeah, and I couldn't imagine playing the underwater levels in Donkey Kong Country without that piece of music there. Mm. Now, this song is called Soggy's Realm. It's spelled in kind of a silly 
way. Uh, but who who is this Sog Gi character? <laughs> uh, Snake Pass takes place in kind of a Central American environment, so there's lots of ruins from oh, cool. whatever precursor civilization was there before, and each of them worshipped a different god. So there's Bulldor, who's like the Earth god, and then this is <laughs> I don't remember the other one, the Cinder, I think. The cinder is uh, the fire god, and then this is the water god is soggy, and there's there's a wind god whose name I've forgotten. See, maybe breezy or something like that. I think but... I think that is it. Yes. <laughs> and then there's the uh, the rap god Jay Z. Anyways, uh, let's go ahead and listen to Soggy's Realm. Some more wonderful mu- music, uh, some more wonderful water music, I should say, from David Wise from Snake Pass.
So now uh, you've also recently been playing through uh, Injustice 2. Am I getting the, the right word on that one? Yes. Yep. Yeah. I, all these words, uh, infamous and injustice, and they all sound so similar. I always have to make sure I'm not mixing them up. It's, um, it's a terrible title. It really is. But <laughs> <laughs> I kind of sat out the um, pre-release stuff for this game. Um, not that I you know, didn't want to play it because I've liked the recent Injustice and Mortal Kombat games, but um, you know, I just... I figured it was going to be one where I pick it up a year down the line when it's like, you know, $20 yeah, or so. Totally, yeah. Recently I've been uh, I've been seeing some really cool things about it. It sounds like they have a really kind of huge cast of characters and some ability to customize the costumes of these characters. How how does that end up working? Well, in the default game there's 28 characters total, I think. That's just in the wow. that's just in the base <laughs> game like and that was as many characters were in the first Injustice without DLC. Mm-hmm. Or no, excuse mm-hmm. me, with DLC. Um, plus there's an extra one. There's Darkseid if you pre-order, gets added in. And then there's nine more characters coming as DLC over the coming months. Wow. So there's going to be almost 40 characters when it's all said and done. And I was actually kind of taken aback at how the gear system works. I thought it would be like you do a challenge and then you get a specific piece of gear like a like completing a boss in like one of the world bosses in final fantasy 7 gets you a specific sword and you would always have it and then then you just swap it out to equip it uh, not unlike i guess the weapon system in soul caliber but mm, okay mm. it actually works almost exactly like the gear system in diablo uh, where oh wow yeah where, <laughs> it makes that big of a difference uh-huh. for a fighting game because usually those are uh, they they keep kind of front and center wanting to maintain balance between all of the characters and possible loadouts but uh, um, d- is it very kind of stat reliant? Uh, you can definitely build your character up to be a powerhouse, or you can focus more on defense, or on enhancing their abilities, or on boosting their health up. The game is so new, I don't know if people have really broken the metagame yet to find out what the best way to go about those things are. Like, there are set items that you can get and you can build them up, and they give you special powers, and I'm sure that it's eventually going to work out that those are the way to go. But as far as balancing the game competitively, I said from the start that Netherrealm is shooting themselves in the foot because you can't competitively balance a thing like this. It's It mm. can't be done. Uh, you, you can try, you can probably get it fairly close, but it's never going to be taken seriously on the competitive level, which is why actually if you go and you play in the competitive mode, the designated competitive mode, is it actually strips all those features away and makes you play with just a baseline character. <laughs> so, mm, I see. Yeah, so it's almost like all the effort they went to to add all the the stickers and the bonus abilities in Super Smash Brothers 4 and then you go online and you're not even allowed to use them. Unlockable shaders and, mm-hmm. and different costume components. How much freedom do you get in the visual aesthetics in uh, customizing your characters? Well, everything is a random drop and it all comes from loot boxes. So it's going down that path mm. that a lot of games are going down right now. It's It's got Overwatch loot boxes, basically. Yeah. There's, there's <laughs> to my knowledge, no microtransactions in it to buy more loot boxes. So you do actually have to play the game to earn them. It seems surprising yeah. from a WB game because I know that there definitely were microtransactions, you know, out the ear in the recent Mortal Kombat games. If you find an item that you really like, you can hang on to it. Like, if you really like it visually, you can hang Mm -hmm. on to it, and then you can use another token to change 
the appearance of a better item statistically, oh, so it carries that item. So it's definitely possible to build an appearance for a character that you do like. But then there's the sets, which I haven't completed a set yet. But I've seen some of the things. If you play the story mode, you get a glimpse at some of the sets that you can unlock. And they are some pretty odd looking things well, that's neat I, I like when they give you that level of, uh, of freedom and control um, just recently sega announced that they're gonna add a character creator to sonic forces yes i'm coming sure out soon, that which is... won't be chaos at all <laughs> oh it's just it's such a good idea like it, it, they've read their audience so well and they know you know it, it's once they announced it, like everyone was just like, wow, that's such a good idea. Like, why didn't they do that from the start? Like, why haven't we been able to customize Sonic characters for years now? <laughs> Original character. Do not steal. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Plenty of that. And uh, it, it makes it feel a little odd that that uh, feature isn't coming to uh, Sonic Mania because you think it would be even easier to implement something like that in 2D. As far as I'm concerned, if this issues in a another wave of cool character creators in games then i am all for that because mm -hmm. i do love my character creators uh, and speaking of which one of my favorite game series to uh, create custom characters within is the sims uh, we have a track a request from the forum from the sims the sims one all the way back in the year 2000 and uh, this comes from kid skitsky who says there's something beautiful about distilling life into an interactive video game, which is why I think The Sims is one of the most important video games ever made, often neglected in conversations surrounding the medium. It reflects on the mundanity of life and how they shape our personal stories. The Sims is a journey through existentialism, made approachable through silly yet identifiable moments it has to offer. Today, I imagine myself years ago, a kid too young to know what woo-hoo even meant, experiencing a virtual summary of life from a cradle to grave, a life I had yet to really experience myself. Perhaps there's something inherently reductive in translating the intricacies of life itself on a $40 computer disc, but the way it reframes our lives is enthralling, at times a little disturbing, and yet beautiful all at once. I might have accidentally trapped my sims in a burning room until they turned to ash, and... Yes, I may have accidentally peed on the floor in another Sims house, but even these ridiculous scenarios grant levity to what is, at its core, a contemplative tour through life. To be honest, I really don't have a great segue into the song, only to say that it reinforces the powerful tranquility you get from pausing the world for a moment and just placing furniture into an empty room. It's a feeling unmatched by anything else, and one of many reasons why video games mean so much to me. Yes, this is Under Construction by Jerry Martin from The Sims. And uh, as I've said before, I I really love The Sims. I end up buying way too many of the expansion packs <laughs> and then never actually investing as much time into them as I know that I should. But, um, you know, there's something about The Sims that's just so... Like, it feels really alive and unpredictable in a way that a lot of other games aren't. And I understand that's kind of the whole point of the sims you're essentially just kind of like playing dollhouse with these semi-autonomous creatures <laughs> but um you know my my friends and i we've grown up playing uh the sims in all the wackiest and weirdest ways and um i don't know there's just something really kind of fun about just ruining the lives of <laughs> of these happy people with uh 
with all of our inane shenanigans. Um, I, I remember we moved a, uh, a character into the home of a one of those pre-existing families and just kind of made it our mission to ruin their lives in whatever ways we could <laughs> and being creative about that. In The Sims 3, at least, it was a version that we preferred to play at the time. Sims 4 was not out yet. And I might still prefer The Sims 3 anyways. Um, but anyways, uh, Sims 3 at the time, you could carpet and wallpaper your swimming pool. And uh, if you use red carpeting and wallpaper, it makes it look like it's full of blood, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty entertaining. <laughs> oh, but we have, a, we have a lot of stories, man. If we ever end up doing a Sims banter cast, then that would be... A, I have so many stories. <laughs> Whenever I play The Sims for a long amount of time, it ends up like actually kind of bleeding over into my real life. Like I get really motivated to, um, to start working out or to start studying up more because in a way, like it kind of, uh, kind of turns that into a system in the Sims. Like you can see a bar filling up when you're lifting weights and then you can see your Sim get to the next level when that bar fills all the way up and, um, you know, be able to lift bigger weights and, uh, you know, you can see your child learn how to talk for the first time and learn new words and, and, you know, something about turning those life experiences into numbers and bars and, um, and levels and stuff makes it feel a lot more approachable and makes it feel a lot more kind of attainable as well. And so, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it puts me in the right mind to make better life choices in my own life. Let's hear a little bit of music. This is Under Construction by Jerry Martin from The Sims 1.
not every game has to be a grand simulation of life. You know, sometimes it's it's all right for something a little bit more kind of escapist, a little bit more abstract and obscure. Um, I I always really love uh, going back to this soundtrack. I featured it so many times on Sound of Play already, and I'm sorry if anybody doesn't like it as much as I do, because I just keep coming back to it. Um, but this is a piece coming up from Yoshi's Woolly World. And, uh, oh gosh, it's just such a wonderful soundtrack all the way through. And there's a lot of music in that game as well. There's a lot more than it probably even needs, but, um, the composition team of Tomoya Tamita and Misaki Asada have, uh, really gone above and beyond in creating a, uh, really memorable, really also very danceable <laughs> in a way soundtrack for that game. This game originally came out on Wii U. It has since been ported to the 3DS. I played the demo on 3DS just to kind of see how it feels. Um, but, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm going to end up preferring it over the Wii U version. You know, I'm not going to probably double dip on that one. But it's a lovely game. Plays great in multiplayer as well. And it's, um, yeah, it's just a lot. Always something good, interesting to look at and always something interesting happening in the music. Mm -hmm. And uh, this song is definitely no exception. This is called Nitty Naughty Windmill Hill. And I like that it's uh, it's a little bit less tune-driven than a lot of the other tracks from the game. Um, I've, I've mentioned in the past that uh, a lot of the songs sound like they were written as like pop songs first with like a traditional verse-chorus, verse-chorus, bridge-chorus structure. Um, but... This song is a little bit different. It's a little bit more kind of lax, laid back. Uh, there's still an element of that uh, kind of pop song construction in there, um, but it's mostly just a really kind of soothing uh, acoustic guitar rhythm, melody kind of that um, serves as the bed for the music. And then this really playful, wispy, electronic instrument I wouldn't even really know how to describe, uh, just kind of playing over top. And I like that. Uh, Andrew, did you end up going through Yoshi's Woolly World as well? Yes, I got it day one. I 100% completed it. I absolutely adored it. It's a fantastic game. I was actually really looking forward to it coming out, too, because it's made by Goodfeel, who also made Kirby's Epic Yarn on the mm, Wii. Yeah. And the jazz piano soundtrack on Kirby's Epic Yarn is so good. It's I was really looking forward to seeing how they did the soundtrack on Woolly World. And mm -hmm. I appreciate how, even though it comes from the developers of Kirby Epic Yarn, and it's actually a spiritual sequel to the Super NES game Yoshi's Island, it actually stands on its own musically. It's the, yeah, yeah. yeah, it has a really eclectic mix of traditional music with cartoony sound effects in this specific song. And that I think that evokes the patchwork nature of Woolly World itself, which is, I think, one reason that I am not a proponent of the 3DS version at all, because this game deserves to be played in HD, just the way it was designed mm. and the way it's all put together where all the characters are made out of yarn and all the world is made out of like bits and pieces from a craft drawer. It's really beautiful to look at a big step up aesthetically from what they started in Kirby's Epic Yarn. And I think it does it the game a disservice if you're not playing it in HD. It is a really beautiful game to look at. And it's one where obviously uh, if people have seen it, they know that 
everything in the game world is made out of some sort of craft material. Uh, that's kind of the premise that the game sells itself on uh, being a woolly world. It's kind of like a little big planet in that way, uh, where everything feels like it's something that people pulled from their drawer. And uh, now you're kind of platforming around these. Uh, all the, the clouds are pinned to the denim background skies and the uh, enemies are made out of yarn and they have knitting needles that they're holding and uh, all these like really wonderful little touches. Um, and that kind of uh, the very like physical, like tangible nature of everything and that kind of craftiness would make me, if I was in charge of uh, of designing the soundtrack, uh, probably steer away from electronic instruments. But I think throughout the soundtrack, whenever they bring electronic instruments into it, it always does seem to complement it in a way that I wouldn't have expected it to. Let's dive into Nitty Naughty Windmill Hill by Tomoya Tamita and Misaki Asada from Yoshi's Woolly World.
Coming up next, we have a, another request from the forum. This comes from uh, from Donk. <laughs> I like that name. And his new city as well. He says, I discovered Jake Vert Kaufman through an online video game music radio station. I've only played one game he's created music for, Shovel Knight, but I've gone and bought most of his releases on Bandcamp. The, the man is a genius. This song is called Burning Town Forever Remix, composed by Jake Kaufman, and this is from Shantae Risky's Revenge. Uh, this is, uh, the, the Shantae series has been kind of building a following pretty steadily over the past few years, as each subsequent release just ends up being like a really solid platformer, and more and more people kind of discover the series every time. I have about two or three of these games on my computer right now. Um, I've played, I've started all of them at least once, uh, usually two or three times, but I've never like kind of gotten all the way through them. And I know that I should because these are the types of games that I uh, know that I love. But I'm, I'm really interested in the most recent one, the Half Genie Hero, just because the, uh, the game was given kind of a visual overhaul. And I've heard nothing but good things about it from all of the uh, people who have played it. I consider myself a fan of the series despite never beating one of the games, um, but they are always close to the top of my list of games that I intend to go back to. Uh, Andrew, have you played any of these Shantae games before? I've been aware of the series going all the way back to, I think the first one is on the Game Boy Color, actually. It's it's quite an old series, you know, comparatively speaking, as far as video games go. Uh, but I haven't played any of them, but I am definitely picking up half genie hero when it launches on switch in about a month and i'm looking forward to that because i've also heard lots of great things about this series and just listening to this track i am definitely excited to see what's going on in this game yeah this is an interesting track it's uh it's of course very high energy this is a uh, platformer game those tend to have very kind of energetic scores uh, a lot of the time um but musically genre wise i would almost kind of classify this as being a uh, very disco-ish which is not what i expected necessarily going into it um so yeah let's listen to burning town forever remix from shante risky's revenge
introduce a track from Chrono Trigger, another favorite from among our uh, contributors in the past. I almost feel like picking this song is kind of a cliche, but I've, I'm also equally amazed that we're almost at 100 episodes now and nobody has played this <laughs> song. Right. It's kind of amazing yeah. to me. I didn't really have time to review the track list all that closely uh, before I started making my picks because I had to start making my picks right away. So one of the things that I chose was Hyrule Castle from Breath of the Wild. And then I started doing my notes on it and I started looking at our design document and I realized, oh, Flavio has already picked that one. (laughs) (laughs) Got you covered. So I got a little bit of payback to Flavio and I picked a song from a soundtrack I know that he loves. (laughs) And this is actually my favorite track from my video game sound my favorite video game soundtrack of all time and it's corridors of time from chrono trigger and chrono trigger is this time travel game where you go all over the history of this planet trying to stop an alien parasite that's trying to destroy it from within and some context for what introduces this song is after one of the low points in the adventure where you've just had this massive disaster. You become stranded on this Arctic wasteland whose only soundtrack is this roaring sandstorm. And you wander around it for a while and eventually you come across this building that has a glowing circle inside it and you step inside it and you get transported to the kingdom of Zeal. And that's where this track begins to play. And it could not be a more stark contrast to the swirling static that's going on outside on the surface world. And it's this mm. mix of many stereotypically regional, but also mostly unidentifiable instruments. And so the song seems to come from many cultures and yet also from no culture at all. So it's much like Zeal itself. It is both quintessentially human, but fantastically alien. Now, this song is really popular. There's about a thousand remixes of it online played on all kinds of different instruments. Mm. There's a Smooth McGroove has done a really hilarious uh, acapella version of it. There's all kinds of guitar pieces on it. But I really think that the song loses something when you're not trying to keep with these instruments that it uses. Uh, especially the instrument that plays the main tune, which sounds like a sitar. And I really think that if you're not playing this song on a sitar, that it just it doesn't sound as good as it could. So this is the original recording of it straight from the video game. Let's listen to Corridors of Time by Yasunori Mitsuda from Chrono Trigger.
And we have one track left. But before we play that, remember you can venture over to our forum at canonrinse.com forum. You can get in touch with us on Twitter or our Facebook. Um, and you can request tracks on any of those sources and we will <laughs> eventually play it. New music and old music is welcome as you've heard in today's show. Uh, you can subscribe to Sound of Play and leave us an iTunes review or a rating. We would very much appreciate that. Uh, and also we have a Patreon. If you search for uh, patreon.com slash cane and rinse, then that contributes to our uh, main show. Um, and of course, that also kind of goes into funding uh, Sound of Play as well and making it a more pleasant listening experience. Recently, we've started a campaign to uh, raise our uh, our Patreon funding so that we can afford to dedicate more time to the, uh, particularly the Kane and Rinse podcast and put out uh, two main podcasts a week instead of just one. Your people are crazy. <laughs> yes, that is, uh, that is actually true. Um, based on the amount of time that I know uh, Leon especially puts into each of these Kane and Rinse podcasts, I, I don't know why it was that he suggested that <laughs> that we end up doubling the output because he's uh, just going to be burying himself in this stuff. Yeah, I but, read from uh, one of the contributors on Twitter, <laughs> I think it says 30 hours of work goes into each episode, not counting how long it takes to actually play the game. That's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's a lot of research. There's a lot of uh, uh, editing as well. Um, as I, I'm one of the three editors for the Kinnerman's team. And so I, I know how long that process can take. So, um, yeah, there's a, a lot of behind the scenes stuff that goes into making the podcast what it is. And so we are hoping to next year put out 100 shows instead of just 50, just 50 is still a lot, but, <laughs> uh, but we hope with, uh, everybody's, um, contributions and everybody's support that we can uh, end up making that a reality and giving the world more Caden Rents, <laughs> more of our dumb voices. That'll, that'll be fun, I hope. Uh, anyways, I want to thank Andrew for joining me again on the show. Uh, you are always welcome back as a, as a returning contributor now, <laughs> as well as our community contributors. Uh, we very much appreciate the requests. The last track that we have today is a long one. This is a fun, unpredictable, jazzy piece. Uh, this is a remix of a song from the first Katamari Damacy game. Uh, this remix comes from Katamari Forever. Uh, the original track was called You Are Smart. And that was a, uh, that was a fun kind of electronica type of piece that just kept kind of building up as it went. And I think it maintains a lot of that aspect of it in this uh, remix. I know both versions of the song fairly well, but I still have a little bit of trouble picking out what is new for this version and what is from the original version of the song, uh, just because this version adds so much embellishment and new tunes and everything. Um, but it, it is just, you know, it stands alone as being a really marvelous, really uh, unpredictable track. Uh, we featured a whole ton of Katamari music on uh, Sound of Play 80 a while back now. That was our two-hour-long Katamari Damacy special. Uh, we didn't get to feature this track, um, probably because it's almost 10 minutes long, <laughs> and we were already kind of pressed for time as it was. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I love to feature more Katamari music whenever I can. Uh, so this is the Regina Soft Mix of You Are Smart. This is composed by Akitaka Tohoyama. And uh, I, I hope you all really enjoy this piece of music. I really enjoyed your episode 
that just focused on Katamari music, but I haven't played the series. I look at it and I see it as the quintessentially widget series, the WJT, the weird Japanese thing game. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, it looks fascinating. It's just, it's never come out on a platform in a timely mm. way that I have been able to play it. Maybe someday if I ever go back to the PlayStation 2 era and just revisit those games, I'll make some time for Katamari. Katamari Forever, probably the easiest one to get a hold of these days. Um, well, other than the digital re-release of Katamari Damacy, the original mm-hmm. on the PlayStation 3 marketplace. Um, but uh, Katamari Forever, which this song is from, uh, available on the PlayStation 3, is actually probably a pretty good way of hopping into the series if anyone is curious. Um, it's a nice kind of a greatest hits type collection of uh, a lot of the series stages and challenges, um, but with plenty of new content as well. And it uh, it looks a lot crisper than the old ones did. They've always looked good, in my opinion, anyways, just because of how simple the graphics are. Uh, they tend not to age as much as others, but um, there is a special kind of crispness to the PS3 version and um yeah it's just a it's a really special game it has some really wonderful music so let's go ahead and uh, play us out with you are smart regina soft mix from katamari forever Uh, thank you for joining us and we will see you next week
Oh, my God. 